0: I'll make it blunt. You need to have lots of money for this to work. You need to be wealthy for this to work. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax
1: Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 314 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Child Maintenance Trust. We already spoke about them in episode 309, but in this episode, let's drill deeper and answer some of your questions. Here's Patrick Huang of Coleman Greek Lawyers in Sydney.
0: It's an area where if you satisfy all the criteria, then it's great. But if you can't satisfy the criteria, then it's, it, it probably won't be applicable.
1: And what are the criteria?
0: I'll make it blunt. You need to have lots of money for this to work. You need to be wealthy for this to work. Not, not, to, not to suggest that you have to be Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, who are both very, very wealthy and recently and were in recent times were divorced from their wives. I'm not saying that I have to be that wealthy, but you do need to be generally well off for this to have the intended tax benefit. Our
1: John has quite a few millions on the side that he's happy to put towards his children's well-being.
0: Yes, and he is currently in a, he's currently divorcing his partner. Yes. The
1: mother of his children.
0: And the mother of his children. Okay. I was I was going to say partner because I was going to be yes. very very PC and because you know these days same-sex marriages are legal in Australia.
1: Yes. So know. it could be John and Paul.
0: But Sharon um
1: and Julia divorce him.
0: It could possibly, but I think John <laughs> I think John and Julia I think works for our example.
1: And let's make it John and Jane because I find Jane easier to pronounce than Julia.
0: Fair enough. John and Jane is John and Jane are fine.
1: Good. Do child maintenance trust only work when money is no issue. So John is just. Ha- but I think even when you're really, really rich, I think money is still an issue. I can imagine whether you're fighting over one million or whether you're fighting mm-hmm. over hundred million. I can imagine money is always an issue because sure, money sure. of course is a is just a token for everything else. That's, sure,
0: but um, you know, but because we are talking about tax here, it's a way in which you can save tax. And also, through this mechanism, due to the way that you have to structure it to get the tax benefit, it's a way in which you can you can actually start to provide actual money to to your children.
1: So that means for the family law proceedings, mm-hmm. first agree exactly what needs to be paid, and then, after mm-hmm. that line in the sand, you mm-hmm. then Start thinking about how the extra payment happens?
0: I would say that all happens on, on the same time. With instruction this in the context of a family law settlement. You all need to think about this is all very much when child support comes in. How much is the agreed child support payment? How much do we then need to put into the, the child maintenance trust to fund the child support payments? and where the money is going to come from.
1: And I can also imagine, it's actually a very good point, I can also imagine that the child support payments will actually be lower because at the end there is a huge amount of capital to go to the children. So the mother might say, okay, you only pay me 50% of the agreed child support, but for that, of course, the capital that you will put into the trust will then go to the children at their 18th or 21st birthday.
0: Yeah, so in Jane so in that example if Jane is saying I'm happy for you to pay 50% of the child support payments and I'll fund the other 50% then the amounts put into the trust may only be used to support that 50% of the child support payment
1: because at the end and I'm jumping a little bit ahead sure at the end the entire mm. capital of the trust goes to the children
0: That's right That's right This is why I say you need to have lots of money for this to work Yes, and Um, that's
1: also why ongoing child support payments might be lower when you use a trust, because at the end, there's all this capital to be had.
0: Well, child support payments generally stop.
1: Yeah, they usually stop when the child turns 18 or when they finish
0: university. There is a point in time where it stops, and the point in time where it stops is when the child gets the capital.
1: And are you free to... set that date? So could you set it at the age of 50, when the child turns 50 or 70? Or is there a legal requirement that it has to be 18 or 21?
0: For tax purposes, it doesn't necessarily specify that, but the trust could specify that the child could access the capital at a certain period of time. Bearing in mind, however, that the principles of Saunders and Vaud here come in, where it says that if you are of legal age and there is a trust in which you are the absolute interest holder of that trust. Once you turn 18, you can call for the, the assets to be held in your name. You can call for the trustee to collapse the trust and put the assets in your name.
1: So there's no point extending the vesting of the trust beyond the eighteenth birthday because it might trust- it,
0: yes. It might it may structuring wise and succession planning wise, it, it might actually be of benefit, particularly if the child maybe agrees to arrangements, the capital will be locked up then for a period of time. It, it will come down to what the child might, may or may not agree to, though I'm not sure if the child can or cannot agree to it because he will be under 18 at that point in at that point in time. The other point I wanted to make was that having a child maintenance trust may also be a great positive effect in negotiations between the husband and wife because husband and wife will get divorced because there are issues between the husband and wife. but both of them all agree generally that they love their child, or their children they want to provide for them. So by taking money out of their hands and giving it to a child, I think I think actually helps with with negotiations.
1: Because the father is happier to give the money to the child than to the mother. And the mother is happier for the money to go to the child than to stay in the father's name. That's
0: right. That's right. So the child maintenance trust indirectly is a way to insist in negotiations and reaching potentially a quicker outcome.
1: That's actually a very good point because I think very often parents are happy to pay for the children. They just don't want to give the money to the other parent. And so this is actually a good way to make sure the money goes to the children and not to the other parent. That's right. That's right. So now let's assume we have the vesting date to be the eighteenth birthday of the two children. Let's assume they are twins, so we just have one vesting date.
0: If you're speaking about having a vesting date for the trust, then it can be for as long as possible. It's just that the child has the ability to call upon the trust to be wound down and the assets taken, and the assets is taken in his own name. I want to make the vesting date of the trust per se to be when the child turns 18.
1: Good. Okay, so the vesting date would probably be today in 80 years, but from the 18th birthday on the children could call on the trust to access the trust assets. Yes.
0: So yes, so there shouldn't be a situation where when the child turns 18 there's no discretion should have the flexibility for the trust to remain in place when the child turns 18.
1: Because the child might still be living at home. Correct, or they might be agency, and then want to
0: yeah, that's right. They may not want to deal with the property and and deal with the property, etc. So the trust will still be still be there and still be running even after the child turns eighteen. And it's only after when the child turns eighteen and probably after receiving some legal advice that they can say, okay, trustee, I like the assets in my own name.
1: That's at the end. If Mm -hmm. we go back to the start and we look at how the trust is set up. Is it always the paying parent? So in this case, John, who is the trustee of the uh, child maintenance trust? Or have you also seen trusts where the um, receiving parent is the um, trustee?
0: It comes down to the agreement between a husband and wife as how they want to manage the trust estate. It may be that husband and wife want to be joint trustees, or either any one of them would be happy to just be the trustee. It really comes down to what husband and wife agree to. And that's a matter for negotiation.
1: But would it be in most cases that it is the father? I mean, the paying parent?
0: It would make sense to, yes. If I was acting for the father, the father was acting for John, I'd say, yes, I would. But then if I was acting for the mother, for, for Jane, I'd say, Jane should. Because she's the one who's going to be looking after the kids and, look, and is ultimately going to be responsible for the children want in terms of their care and schooling and what have you. So I should be the one who should be managing the trust. It's all within the negotiations between husband and wife.
1: For the privilege of being the trustee, Jane might have to agree to a lower capital, for example, or a lower payment. It's all give and take.
0: It is very much all give and take correct that's right and it's all about being comfortable with it's all about it's about being comfortable with how much you want to put into the trust to fund child support payments and again let's not lose sight here as to the reason why we have a child maintenance trust to save tax to save tax and the reason why we save tax is because the income generated from money put into the trust at the outset is accepted trust income that is when a child under 18, who is a beneficiary of the trust, receives the income. The child is not taxed at the penal or penalty tax rates. They are taxed as if they're an adult. It means that for the first eighteen thousand two hundred that the child will receive, it's tax-free, and then it goes up from there through the various tax brackets. So being able to access the eighteen thousand two hundred dollar tax-free threshold is a much better tax outcome than. Having the eighteen thousand two hundred being subject to penal tax rates, which could be as high as more than fifty percent on that income.
1: And if the uh, paying parent is at the top marginal tax rate, the parent would have to earn over thirty six thousand dollars to pay eighteen thousand dollars of child support That's payments. That's right.
0: That is correct. If the income was generated by the trust, which is eighteen thousand. 000- Two hundred, then only eighteen thousand two hundred needs to be generated for that. You don't need to generate thirty-six thousand dollars.
1: The trust gets a trust deed, and I can imagine it's just a normal discretionary trust deed, with the exception that the beneficiaries, of course, are the two children, and that the discretion of the trustee is limited to payments to these two children. So there's a very limited circle of possible beneficiaries, correct?
0: It is a fixed trust. It is a fixed trust. It is not a discretionary trust. It's because of the way that uh, the legislation is set up to provide for accepted trust income, the trust must be for the benefit of the beneficiaries which are minor children of the marriage um, in a family breakdown.
1: Okay. And so it's fixed because the deed, for example, would say every year you pay the full income the trust earned at 50-50 to those two children. Correct. That's why it is fixed. It's not necessarily a unit trust. It probably...
0: necessarily it, a unit trust. There's not need to be a unit trust. It is just a trust which is set up for the children. And there's no discretion as to that. It's just for the children.
1: It most likely is not a unit trust. Or it is never a unit trust because what's the point? Yep. Yeah. So, so it is a fixed trust. It is a fixed trust, but not a unit trust. You're, you're no,
0: right. That's right.
1: And you can basically just say whatever the income is, that is what is distributed. So if the income is lower, then that's what gets distributed. If the income is higher, then that's what gets distributed. So you no longer have fixed child support payments as such, but it is more just the income of the trust.
0: If the family law agreement specifies that, let's put it in this, this situation, John is required to make child support payments, then if the trust does not have sufficient income in a particular year to meet the child support payments, then John, will, then John will need to cover the difference.
1: Oh, really? So John has to top up?
0: It's trying to satisfy child support payment obligations here. If I was acting for Jane, the wife, I would want certainty that my children are getting twenty thousand dollars in child that the child will be getting twenty thousand dollars in child support payments. And obviously having a child maintenance trust assists with that, but any any particular year the trust may not generate twenty thousand dollars. So I want I want my um, former husband, John, to pay the difference. Or come to, or comes down to negotiation.
1: Let's say in one year the trust generated income of 30,000, and now this year it only generated income of 10,000. So what happens in the year that I'm over the 20,000? Does the 10,000 excess income, does it stay in the trust or does it also get distributed to the children? Does it have to get distributed to the children because it's a fixed trust?
0: Yes. Most likely, yes, it would be. It was concerns what the trustee Say The trustee may say that you can accumulate any income that's not distributed to the, to the child, but ultimately the child will benefit because the child will get the capital of the trust. Or the trustee might say that all income must be distributed to the beneficiary full stop. There's no ability to to accumulate.
1: Good. So if you have the later version that all income must be distributed, then the children would… Get more in the year that the trust earns thirty thousand, and then poor John has to top up when the trust only makes ten thousand, whereas yes, if, if you can keep the t- excess ten thousand in the first year, then of course you can use that then to meet the requirement in the second year, and then of course John doesn't have to pay top up. If you can keep the excess income in the trust, who pays income tax on that? Would it then be the trustee at the top marginal tax rate?
0: You'll be the trustee in that situation because of the child maintenance trust. Because of the way the regime works, it should be at the marginal tax rate. It shouldn't be at the, it shouldn't be at the
1: top marginal tax um, rate. top
0: marginal tax rate. But having said that, if you're John and you're the one who's earning lots of money because it then comes down to who the trust, they'll come down to who the trustee will be. Amounts qualifying as accepted trust income are accessible to the trustee and are taxed at normal rates.
1: And normal rates means his personal tax rate?
0: Yeah, that's probably that the income is accepted trust income.
1: Okay, so if John is at the top marginal tax rate, which is to be assumed if he has that much money to put into a child maintenance trust, then he would pay 47% on it, 45 plus 2%. That's right,
0: which sort of defeats the whole purpose of wanting to accumulate the, the income in the trust in the, in the very beginning. If I was advising a client, I will just simply get them to, to just distribute all of the trust income to the child.
1: Yes, and I would even say distribute all of the income, whatever the income is. There is no top-up. That's it's, right. It's just and always if, what it
0: is. Some, that's right. some
1: years you have a good year, some years you have a bad year, but it's just whatever it is.
0: If I was advising the husband, John, in structuring the arrangement, I would say that if in a particular year, if it's more than the child support payments, then the excess can be used to fund any shortfalls. And in, in doing so, years. I do, in future years, so so then I don't need to then stick my hand in my pocket to try and pay over the shortfall, because the excess has already been made available to the child.
1: Yeah, but then you end up having the access being assessed back to John again. Then you're back no, at the what, 47- no.
0: no, no, no. So, the way to, the, the way to do it is it, the, the arrangement should be all the trust income is distributed to the child. The income distributed to the child, maybe more than child support payments. There's an excess there. That's fine. The excess, the, the that excess is just a notional amount that's being tracked for the purposes of the property settlement agreement.
1: So you basically have a side calculation. Correct. You, all trust Correct. income gets distributed each year, but then on the side you have an. You have it, a
0: running balance of some. Exactly. Of some you sort. have a
1: running balance that basically says. In 2018, you paid an extra 10000 In 2020, you paid another yes. 20000 Hence, you have 30000 credit on the side. So if yep. there's a shortfall, we just deduct that from the 30000 you credit. paid extra in the past. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that's and, if a the short,
0: and if the shortfall is more than available credit balance, it is only then under the property settlement agreement that I will then provide further, that I, John, provide further payments.
1: Yes, that's a good idea. That's Mm. well done. This way you never have income assessed to the trustee, but you also don't have a lot of shortfall payments hopefully coming your way. Yes. That is also good for Jane because it means Jane and the children don't bear the full investment risk. They basically don't bear any investment risk because they have always the child support payments as a minimum.
0: Yes, that's right from... Jane's perspective and a child's perspective, they get certainty that there will always be this level of child maintenance support levels as agreed.
1: Sometimes access to the children is an issue. And then the game, I think, is often that access to the children is denied and then payments are not made and then it becomes a tug of war. What happens when John doesn't make those child support payments anymore from the trust? If John then doesn't pay the child support payments to the children but keeps the money in the trust and hence then pays the tax on that income, does that affect the tax status of the, of the trust?
0: No, it wouldn't affect the tax status of the trust because the tax benefit is all very much, it's it very much, it's about the actual income itself, not the, not the trust itself. The trust is set up obviously to to enable the income to be trust except a trust income, but as to how the but then whether the trustee then actually makes the payment to the child is then up to the trustee. And the trustee does everything that it's required to do under the trustee, then it should give it to the child. I understand where you're coming from is that what happens if the trustee doesn't do it. Yes. There's a whole myriad there's a whole myriad of trust issues and family law issues. That arises from that, as from from that. So I would say that that's a family, that's a family law issue rather than a tax issue.
1: When you just make normal child support payments and then you don't make them, that is just a family law issue. But when you go through a child maintenance trust and then you don't make those payments, then you have a family law issue. You have a trust law issue because. You as the trustee don't follow the the conditions of the trust deed. And then you also have a tax issue because you're not distributing the income, hence you as the trustee are taxed. So I just think the consequences of not paying child support is a lot more significant when you go through a child maintenance trust than if it's just a monthly payment you make in individual names.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: If John is the trustee of the trust, then Jane has no say about the trust, correct?
0: Yes, that is right. That's correct. It'll be up to then John to do everything that he needs to do is for the child. Just make sure that that, that's always the case.
1: So he needs to fulfill his duties as a trustee. Correct. Like any trustee has a duty towards the beneficiaries.
0: Correct. Correct. That is right.
1: There are two very important questions that I want to ask you. The first one is, what happens when the child dies? And then the second one is, can you funnel income through the Child Maintenance Trust and hence avoid having to put so much capital into the Child Maintenance Trust? So can you, for example, put shares into the Child Maintenance Trust and then only pay dividends to the Child Maintenance Trust for the ongoing child support payments
0: to answer the first question remember that with a child maintenance trust the property is the child's i'll just let that sink in the property is the child's it also happens with that that because the child is under 18 it, he or she can't hold the property from him or herself there needs to be a trustee to hold the trust for the child when the child turns 18 then the, then the child has the ability to call upon a trustee to put the assets of the trust in his own name. At the time that the trust is funded with the assets, it's the child's property. Day one, the trust is funded with property. Day two, the child dies. On day two, because the property is the child's property, it goes into the child's estate. And it, and then distributed in accordance with the child's will, if the child has made a will or has the ability to make a will, or it's or it's governed under intestacy laws in the relevant state. Yes, um, and I
1: can imagine that the intestacy laws will give the uh, assets to both parents in equal. Parts, when the child dies without a family, without descendants, it would, etc.? It
0: will depend, depend on where the assets are located. The intestacy laws um, are different for each state, although there are some which are quite similar. And where the property is located will determine which state's, which state's intestacy laws would apply.
1: And what about bank accounts and share portfolios? Which state would those be in?
0: Very good question.
1: And the answer?
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with a bank account it would it would most likely be where the bank account was first set up.
1: So the branch.
0: So where the branch is located is where it's been set up. And for shares, it would with what account is the shares are held in. So where is the broker located?
1: So that will be either Melbourne or Sydney most likely.
0: Possibly, yes. Wherever the account is, wherever the account is held. It could be anywhere in this. It could be
1: anywhere in Australia. And you said that a lot of the rules are similar. Are there big differences between the intestacy rules for children, for young children?
0: So just reading. So, for example, New South Wales. Just reading through the intestacy laws. There's no. So with a the child, there's no spouse, so you did not need to worry about that. The child itself will have no children, so there's no. Worries, there's no problems there. The child may or may not have any siblings, so there's no issues having siblings if, if there's any siblings will go to the sibling if there's no siblings then it will go to the parent okay. because there's, there's a high there's a particular hierarchy you go through with the with the intestacies
1: okay so in our exa- example where we said the two children are twins then mm. it would go to the twin brother or the twin sister yeah let me then- just
0: yes let me just double check that whether so the So the question is, does it go to the sibling first that's still living or does it go to the parents? Because that actually might become important. That actually might be a very, very important distinction. In New South Wales, at least, the parents get it over the siblings. If there's no parent, then the siblings get it.
1: Let's say John put a million dollars for each child into the trust. Mm-hmm. then he would get five hundred thousand dollars back, and five hundred thousand dollars would go to Jane.
0: Uh, let me think so uh, so total was a million dollars into the trust mm-hmm. Total a million.
1: And all income was always distributed, so it's always distributed
0: fifty fifty yes. and then and then when the children passes away, then, yes, five hundred grand. We'll go into the child's deceased estate and it does no will. You look at the intestacy laws. That child has no spouse or child, has no children. So no spouse, no children, then the parents are entitled to the 500 grand. 50 mm-hmm. shares, 50-50.
1: So that ha- answers what happens when the child passes away. And now the the second question is, can you structure this in some way that you don't have to put the capital into the child maintenance trust? So that, for example, you have a separate discretionary trust, distribute the relevant funds into the child maintenance trust.
0: No, you cannot simply funnel income into this trust for the purpose of then turning it into trust accepting income to get the benefit of the of the income. Being taxed at the tax with a child, that is um, at marginal tax rates.
1: It is only accepted income if it comes from accepted assets within the trust.
0: When you mean tr- accepted asset,
1: yeah, yeah, I just called it that trust assets.
0: It has to come from the property of the trust that was put in by any one of the parents pursuant to a property settlement.
1: So it also has to be property that was put into the trust as part of the property settlement so the father can't put additional assets into the trust later on.
0: If he wants to get as much benefit as he can out of the accepted trust rules, then put all of it into the trust at the outset and have it agreed to in the property settlement agreement that is to be um, approved by a court. A family court. So if you're looking at transferring, obviously there's also tax implications for transferring property into the trust. And when I mean by that, I mean uh, any sort of asset, real property, shares, um, cash. Cash there shouldn't be any issues, but with shares, shares and property.
1: Yeah, you have capital gains tax and you have... You would have
0: capital gains tax and um, the trustee itself may also need to pay stamp duty. On acquisition of any, depending on the duties of legislation in each state, there may be some concessions available to available to exempt or give concessional stamp duty treatment for child maintenance trusts, but that's something to be looked at more closely.
1: So you have to place the assets within the child maintenance trust and you can't just funnel income through the trust. However, the child maintenance trust can lend the money back to the paying parent or his associates at commercial interest rates as long as the arrangement is at arm's length. So let's say John pays $1 into the child maintenance trust but really needs the funds to run his operating company. And let's say it's really hard to get a bank loan. So in that case, the trust can lend the $1 back to John's company at commercial interest rates. The company would receive a tax deduction for the interest it pays, and then the children would pay zero or very little tax at adult tax rates on the interest income. And then one other thought – I'm not sure if a child can make a will through his or her legal guardian, but if possible, then the divorce settlement should include a will for the child, so that if the child dies, the full capital goes from the child's estate back to the paying parent, John in our example. In the next episode, episode 315, Simon Daniels of Andreev Lawyers in Sydney will talk about private ancillary funds. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.